0: After my father really got sick, my, my younger sister is an internist, and she was the one who started talking to me about a plant based diet, and she was the one who watched Forks Over Knives first. And I remember when she told me, I, you know, I remember questioning her. Come on, you know, skim milk, skim milk has no fat. It's fine. It's good for your bones. And and we had this argument, this, de- this debate. And and I remember her telling me, listen, just watch the documentary and see what you think after you watch the documentary. As soon as I watched Forks Over Knives, I mean, I was all in. You know, I was so upset that I wasn't taught this in medical school. When I was in medical school from 1988 to 1992, I had received no nutrition education.
1: That's Dr. Padma Garvey, and this is The Proof Podcast. This episode of The Plant Proof Podcast features Dr. Padma Garvey, otherwise known as the plant-based Dr. Mom. Padma completed her medical studies at the University of Pittsburgh in 1992 and is a gynecologist in the Hudson Valley, which is approximately 75 miles out of New York City. I know this firsthand, as for this podcast, I actually journeyed out of Manhattan to the Hudson Valley so I could meet Padma in person. Padma's extensive medical experience, along with her own personal health and the declining health of several family members, led her to changing her own diet to a whole food plant-based diet. As a result of the physical changes she felt, Padma was inspired to educate herself more on the role of nutrition and health so she could provide better care and advice for her patients. This podcast will be particularly interesting for anyone that wants to learn more about basic tips for a healthy plant-based diet from a very experienced medical doctor who not only practices what she preaches, but has seen amazing results clinically through educating her patients about the benefits of healthful eating. in line with the nutrition recommendations globally to get your essential eight and optimal omega plus head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order that's theproof.com forward slash friends to the plant proof podcast padma
0: nice to be here simon with you thank you for inviting me
1: really appreciate you taking the time at the end of your workday to have this conversation and particularly just excited to to dig deep and learn a little bit more about your story and then get stuck into what you're seeing clinically. I know our uh, plant-proof community will will definitely be inspired by your story.
0: Well, I'm very excited about this. Thanks for inviting me again.
1: Not a problem. So I guess a, a great place to begin would be before we, we do dive into clinically what you're seeing and how you're using plant-based nutrition would be just to understand a little bit more about you and, and your story and, and where this all began.
0: Well, I come from a family of vegetarians. Uh, everybody in my family is a vegetarian. I was raised a vegetarian and I really thought that was healthy in and of itself. I didn't really know any other way of eating and when i went to medical school that was the first time i started to hear i was started to to listen to my professors talk about how a vegetarian diet is deficient in x y and z and i remember in medical school i kept quiet but i thought hmm i don't really seem sick and i feel okay and i didn't want to question what they were telling me and then As I got done with medical school, got married, I saw my family members, particularly my father and his siblings, they started to get sick. They started to, to develop diabetes. They were all overweight. And shortly after I finished residency, my father started getting more and more sicker. and. I was also putting on weight. Uh, by that tam- time, I was working full time. I had two small children.
1: And th- this is back in the early 1990s, be, 90s, 92, 93. Yeah,
0: it would be like uh, 1990s to 2000 was when, you know, I started to put on weight all the while being a vegetarian. And when my father really started to go downhill with diabetes, Right after he retired, it was a lot of hospitalizations in and out of the hospital. He ended up needing bypass surgery and he died two years after that.
1: And and what, what was the sort of typical vegetarian diet back then? So was it, are we talking sort of unprocessed vegetarian type foods or are we talking processed just so that we've got an idea there?
0: Yeah. So I'm Indian and my mother cooked very traditional South Indian food growing up. And even after I got married, a lot of the food I made was South Indian, although I did do a lot of Italian and Mexican food. But it took me a long time to realize was that while many, many aspects of traditional South Indian vegetarian diet are extremely healthy, what was really Bad was the amount of oil we were using, and that there was very little whole grains in our diet. And our dairy consumption wasn't high. Like we didn't eat cheese, but yogurt was a big part of our meals. And then, you know, after my father passed away, I started really looking at that and I said, you know, something led to this man getting diabetes and something led to his brothers having a heart attack at such a young age. It dawned on me, you know, my dad, um, in addition to eating the high oil diet, South Indian diet, he'd have a cheese Danish every day. There's a
1: lot of saturated fats. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, and he would, you know, have a lot of a cheese Danish with his colleagues every day at the university. He'd have potato chips,
1: which is more of a Western type of food creeping into the traditional exactly. Indian diet. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So you know, it it was a slow process. But after after my father really got sick, my my younger sister is an internist, and she was the one who s- started talking to me about a plant based diet. And she was the one who watched Forks Over Knives first. Okay, right. Yeah. And I remember when she told me, you know, I, I totally got that oil was bad. And I didn't realize how much better a whole grain was. Uh, but, I, but I didn't have a hard time believing it. But I was re- really skeptical about the dairy. And I said, you know, I remember questioning her, come on, you know, skim milk, skim milk has no fat. It's fine. You, you know, it's good for your bones. And and we had this argument, this this debate, and and I remember her telling me, "Listen, just watch the documentary and see what you think after you watch the doc- the documentary."
1: So you so you watched the documentary, and and was it an instant wow? Oh yes, moment?
0: yes. I mean, I you know the science is sound. It helps a, a, a lot that you, know, you had T. Colin Campbell's, who's a professor of nutrition and biochemistry. He reminded me of my father, who was a biochemist. And as soon as I watched Forks Over Knives, I mean, I was all in. I had no, you know, I was so upset that I wasn't taught this in medical school. I was really upset.
1: So and and just on medical school, because I know there's you know there's it's a hot topic as to what medical students are taught in terms of nutrition and how many hours they spend teaching it and you know is there enough emphasis on it to to look at disease prevention rather than just medications and and curing down the track what what sort of percentage of your course back in the early 1990s was had an emphasis on nutrition
0: oh in well when i was in medical school from 19 19- 88 to 1992, I had received no nutrition education. I think it's gotten a little bit better. I think the last statistic I read or heard uh, 20% of US medical schools are offering some nutrition education, but it varies. It could just be one day, a few schools are actually doing an actual course, but Nutrition education is not emphasized. It wasn't emphasized at all when I went to medical school. And it's still not super emphasized now. Doctors are taught the biochemistry of the body. So doctors know what happens to a cholesterol molecule in your body, but they don't know where what foods have cholesterol in them. And doctors learn fat metabolism. But they don't they aren't taught what foods have fat in them. So there's you know the the practical aspect to to biochemistry like truly like what happens in the kitchen, what can you tell your patients to eat? That's not taught.
1: So you've you've obviously had this change in your personal life. You've begun your own plant-based lifestyle and and then was it a, a pretty much an instant moment where you decided okay I need to educate myself further on this so I can bring this new knowledge into practice clinically
0: yes i mean after i hit the pause button on forks over knives <laughs> you know i i went to my pantry and i started clearing house and i remember i just said that's it no more dairy no only whole grains we are all in and i realized that You know, I couldn't. I couldn't talk to patients based on just solely based on forks over knives. Although I did start telling them, "Hey, this is what I learned yesterday." But I did. I went to a lot of plant-based conferences, and I took uh, Dr. T. Colin Campbell's has a nutrition class through uh, Cornell that you can do online. So I did that, and I do a lot of reading also. And I'm a member of. The uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in this country, and they also provide a lot of education and continuing uh, education material. So at this point, I I really have my network of of professional organizations that help me learn,
1: Resources. keep learning. Yes. Okay, so you've you've made this change personally, and and you're starting to bring it into the clinic. Just in terms of explaining it to, to your patients, uh, I'm sure they have a number of questions when, when you start telling them that they should cut out, you know, meat and cheese and, and dairy. Uh, you've alluded to the fact that you sort of point them to things like forks over knives and, and whatnot. Do you, do you talk about populations like the blue zones and, and these areas of the world that are showing the greatest longevity with certain diets?
0: I do, do, you know, the problem is a typical doctor visit, at least in this country, 15 minutes for a checkup. And I have learned, you know, I've been doing this now for about a decade where I've, you know, become plant-based and I'm trying to educate patients. And when I started talking to patients, I think I came off way too strong. And I actually think I turned off a lot of people. And over, over the years, I've practiced the, the pitch.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yes. And what I realized was that you cannot educate someone fully in 15 minutes. It's not going to work. Oftentimes I wait for the patient to mention, Hey, I'm, I'm worried about my weight or I'm having these problems. And then I'll, talk about myself and I made a brochure that I give to my patients with all the bullet points. And I have a website with cooking videos and stuff and, and, a, a, podcast. You know, and a podcast so that yep. they can choose to listen to more if they want. Which
1: I'll put in the link at the bottom okay. for, one of this one for, <laughs> for everyone listening.
0: But one of the things that I've noticed really catches their attention. You know, when I hand them the brochure and the back of the brochure, there's things that I recommend that they watch. And the first thing is forks over knives. And I circle it and I tell them, you know, go watch this, this saved my life. And most of the time that really catches their attention and they're like, really? I'm like, I am telling you, this saved my life. know, what do you have to lose? An hour of your time, it's worth it. Your health is worth it, just watch it. And most patients say that they are surprised by what they, what they learn watching forks over knives. And a good number try it. A good number really try. They'll say, you know, I tried it for a month. I'll, I tried it for two months. And almost all of them will say they felt better. And a small percentage stick to it. You know, but what happens is they come back the next year and we go over everything again And they'll try it again.
1: Fallen back into a few old habits. And and, then that's okay. You know, they,
0: so, so in, in answer to your question about the blue zones, I actually talk and write a lot about it. And I refer a lot to the blue zones and and it's a book that I recommend that they read. And sometimes what I'll tell them is, you know, when, when I mention the Mediterranean diet, I'll always remind them that, that the Mediterranean diet that they're talking about was from. Nineteen thirty Naples, Italy. World, you know, Perry around World War Two. Not now. So things like that kind of help get the blue zones lesson into into the office visit. But it is really difficult to cover everything in such a short time.
1: Yeah, sure, I can understand that. Okay, so just moving a little bit more into some more specific things that you're seeing clinically. I know you're you're sp- Specialty is in gynecology and um, obstetrics. So are there, are there any specific conditions that you found a plant-based diet in particular has had a profound effect?
0: Oh, definitely. You know, a couple of the big ones, polycystic ovarian syndrome is a very common hormonal abnormality that a lot of women suffer from, and it can cause abnormal hair growth, acne, weight gain, infertility. A plant-based diet is really the first thing among many things to treat it. But I spend a lot of time with patients who have polycystic ovarian syndrome. I spend a lot of time talking to them about diet. The other things where a plant-based diet is very crucial, I spend a lot of time talking to patients who are concerned about their risk for breast cancer or uterine cancer or ovarian cancer. And that these cancers are diet related, that genetics does not guarantee anything one way or the other. And that really diet plays a tremendous uh, role in, in decreasing one's risk.
1: Is there a specific component of the diet? Is it the animal saturated fats or what component is it? And when we're saying that, you know, they can benefit from a plant-based diet, is there a specific type of plant-based diet?
0: It's hard to tease out the effects of animal protein versus saturated fat because they kind of go hand in hand for, for uh, many people. Uh, one thing I will say, which again, this is observational data, but if you look at, look at India right now, middle-class India has gone through tremendous economic changes. And middle-class Indians consume very little animal protein compared to people from China or Japan, Uh, but they definitely consume more dairy and saturated fat. And breast cancer rates are higher in middle-class Indians than their counterparts in Japan or China. So. I think both animal protein and saturated fat play a role, but I think saturated fat is just something to, to really focus on. And the nice thing is, if you're going to eliminate saturated fat, you end up having to eat mostly plants anyway. So. That's right. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've spoken about your, your own journey and the fact that you weren't consuming much whole grains. What is the benefit of consuming a whole grain versus a, a refined grain?
0: So I think whole grains provide with more fiber so they tend to be more filling they're definitely better for gut health for the for gut bugs which are really important they have more protein which you know if you it's not you don't have to search for your protein then it's in your grain um and I also think that they provide like a greater feeling of fullness for a longer duration of time and that release of those complex carbohydrates just occurs more slowly and you get this sustained release of energy versus like a quick burst of, of sugar into your bloodstream after eating like a simple uh, or a, a processed carb.
1: And that's the the fiber component, which is slowing down that right. digestion. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and... A common question I know that I'm getting and a lot of other nutritionists and and people in the plant-based area is menstruation and just the the pain and the symptoms that can come along with that. Have you had any experience with patients experiencing that?
0: I I couldn't say that a plant-based diet in and of itself would significantly help with menstrual cramps. But what I will say is this, that What we're seeing nowadays is that the average age at which a girl gets her first period has gotten younger and younger, and the average age at which a woman finishes with, with her periods, goes into menopause, has gotten older and older, and that there are some negative consequences to this. First, I think with children going through early puberty, you rob them of their childhood. And that these, this extension of our reproductive lives in women, starting puberty earlier, ending menopause later, it subjects us to more years of hormones, estrogen, more years than maybe we our bodies were designed to see. And there's a lot of evidence suggesting that that's actually one of the root causes for the rising rates of in, in breast cancer and ovarian cancer, fibroids, endometriosis, all of these gynecologic conditions, the more menstrual cycles a woman has, the higher her risk for those problems. So if you eat a low-fat plant-based diet, especially starting, you know, from from when you start eating solid food, you're more likely to go through puberty at an older age. So let's say 14, 15, which was the norm, 1900s. And if you eat a plant-based diet, you're more likely going to go through menopause closer to 50, 52 when nature probably intended it.
1: And, and what is it in the fat that is hypothesized to to be causing that change in the window of of menstruation and having the cycles.
0: Menstruation and basically your the the female body's desire to be able to produce children, right? And from an evolutionary point of view, our body would would feel like okay, this is an appropriate time to have a baby when there's a lot of fat around. So, saturated fat in the diet, saturated fat in the body is a signal that, hey, times are good, food is plentiful, we should make a baby. So that seems to be the 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 trigger, the amount of saturated fat is one of the triggers that initiates puberty. You could see it in, in Olympic gymnasts, the female gymnasts that are training for the Olympics. I mean, their exercise regimen is so strict, their diet is so strict, they have very little body fat. And most of them don't start, start menstruating until after they're done with the, the training. Yeah. Um, and it's and oftentimes you'll see them. I mean, I'm, this is going to date me. There was a, a Olympic gymnast who was really popular. Her name was Mary Lou Retton. And she was, she looked like she was a young girl in the Olympics. And the next year she's one of the commentators for a sport sporting event, and she looked like a, a totally different woman. Like she went through puberty overnight, yeah, and wow. that was because of her diet changed.
1: Okay, now I think it would be a great idea to to sort of distinguish between a healthy plant based diet and uh, otherwise maybe termed as an unhealthy plant based diet. I understand there are you know significant different types of vegan diets out there if you've tuned in to the many episodes i've done focusing on cardiovascular disease the leading cause of death globally you'll be well aware that apob is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than ldl cholesterol the only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test apob levels fortunately this has now been made easier by inside tracker a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics and biometric data from Harvard, MIT and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new addition of ApoB, InsightTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides and blood glucose important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With InsideTracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire InsideTracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof longevity challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. What is the the typical recommendation from your end when someone is interested in starting a plant-based diet?
0: I tell them that, you know, they should really try and avoid processed foods to To whatever extent possible. And in that list, you know, as far as what's a processed food, I'll tell them that oil is a processed food. And I'll tell them that sugar is a processed food. And that if they can, you know, if they want to eat an olive, that's fine. But the minute you squeeze out the oil from that olive, you are now eating a processed food. And if you want to eat an apple, that's fine. But the minute you squeeze out that juice from that apple, you're eating a processed food, you know, and the other the other example I love to give is, you know, you can you can call yourself a vegan and drink a bottle of olive oil, but that is not going to make you healthy. And usually patients will chuckle at that and they'll like they'll get it. But trying to avoid processed foods is definitely a big the number one thing.
1: Okay. So I'm sure off the back of, of that example, particularly um, must get asked, well, what am I going to cook with? Is it is it recommending just to go easy on the oil? Is it to completely avoid these processed oils, olive oil, coconut oils, or uh, avocado oil? What's your take well, on that?
0: So here I, I I do cook with oil. I cook with a very little amount of oil because South Indian food, especially you have to like Kind of let the mustard seeds pop and all of that stuff. Okay. So, and if you go to certain, um, uh, like the, like the forks over knives, uh, Dr. Esselstein, he is absolutely against using any oil whatsoever, and he's very strict about that. And and I totally get why he's he's like that. I mean, he's do- he's dealing with people who have heart disease, or you know, I kind of approach it. I think more from the angle of a working mom which I am trying to make food that tastes good so that her two kids and her husband who you know didn't sign up for any of it <laughs> could could enjoy the meal so I do cook with a little bit of oil and my general rule of thumb is you know I have a family of 4 and usually when I make dinner I'm always cooking for leftovers too so I'll have eight servings. And for anything that has eight servings, I can't use more than a teaspoon of oil.
1: Okay, so that's not much at It's all.
0: not much at all, right?
1: I think most people listening would would have been thinking tablespoons, so
0: Yeah. So try <laughs> I, it started off tablespoon I'm like no no I can do less. I can do I can do this with less. And so now I'm I'll stick so to a, a teaspoon. So a little bit goes a long way. It does. Because and again if I think if Dr. Esselstein was here. He would have a big argument with me about it. But, you know, there is some chemistry to cooking. And I do find that like when you roast garlic or when you eat garlic raw or when you saute it in a little bit of oil, it tastes different. And so if you're trying to get people to stick to a plant-based diet and they're used to their Tomato sauce on their spaghetti, tasting a certain way. Then I think telling them that they can't use any oil almost guarantees that they're just not going to stick to it.
1: Sure. So from a compliance point of view, if 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 someone needs to use a little bit of oil, that's fine. Being conscious that it's it's not healthy per se, and if you don't need oil, then then don't leave use it, it out. Right. Leave it out.
0: Right. I have some patients. Um, uh, who'll make my recipes and not use any oil and they'll say this you know and I'm like great you know yeah. that's even better so um and and if i don't uh if i if i can make the dish taste fine without any oil i won't use it um but i do use a little bit but but i there is actually a teaspoon next to my um stove that I use to monitor
1: controlled strictly
0: controlled like a poison.
1: (laughs) Maybe maybe when you look the other way, uh, your husband's putting (laughs) a little more in. (laughs) Okay, so um we've got the processed versus unprocessed and or I guess the, the whole fiber versus refined. Is there any other key tips that you think people should look at if they're heading to the grocery store for the first time or thinking about how they're going to feed their family plant-based diet?
0: So um, I think that there's a couple of pantry items that just help food taste a little bit better. I love Vegemite, and thank you for yeah. <laughs> giving us Vegemite. You're welcome. <laughs> I think I think it gives dishes, you know, like I, I'm Indian, but my, my husband is American, Irish, Italian background. So he's used to a certain, he has a certain, he's used to a certain flavor palette. And I find that Vegemite is really good at making dishes taste, I guess, uh, meatier, but I don't want to use the word. So
1: you put the Vegemite into your cooking. Oh, yes. Do you have an, an example of
0: yes, I, a
1: dish that you do that with?
0: Sure. I I put it when I make mushroom barley risotto, there's Vegemite in it.
1: Okay, wow. I put
0: it in my chili. I put it uh, just a cup, like anything that, anything that would normally traditionally use beef, uh, I use Vegemite and, and mushrooms, Vegemite and mushrooms pair really well. So I use Vegemite for those kinds of dishes. I use a lot of nutritional yeast.
1: Yeah. Now that's a big one.
0: Oh yeah. I think, I think it's just awesome. And I make sure that I buy nutritional yeast that's fortified with B12 because I use it so much. It's just a nice way of getting B12 We put it on our pizza. We put it on our pasta. It's it's in everything.
1: (laughs) So you've mentioned B twelve is there is there any supplements that you recommend your patients if they do adopt a completely one hundred percent plant based lifestyle? Are there any supplements that you advise them to look at, or is it based on blood work? Is it based on age, or you know life the the life period they're in?
0: Um, I I I think if they're all in totally 100% plant based they should probably take a b12 supplement and and I, will tell, and I always i always remind patients that a lot of my patients who are eating traditional meat based diets are b12 deficient nowadays so you know it seems like it's got more to do with the processing in our foods and the antibiotics in our foods than anything else uh, but yeah, I'll usually tell them to take a B12 supplement.
1: Yeah. I, I always find it fascinating that one of the first things someone says who, who may not be plant-based or a vegan is, well, if, if you need to take a B12, then the diet's not complete. Yet the majority, if you walk down a grocery store or a health store, there's plenty of non-vegans buying supplements every oh. day to, to create a, a complete diet.
0: Oh yeah. And most, most of the patients who are B12 deficient or iron deficient are eating, you know, animal protein diets. And so I completely agree. I think that having to, to uh, take a B12 supplement is like, and if you use, like I said, if you use a lot of nutritional yeast with B12, most cereals are fortified with B12 so, there's other sources too. but but probably taking a b twelve supplement is a good idea.
1: So that's a few tips for anyone who's looking to to start a plant-based diet or perhaps improve their current diet. What about specific periods, so prenatal pregnancy, are there are there sort of particular dietary recommendations that you give?
0: Well, you know the whole idea of like prenatal vitamins, I actually wrote a blog about this. I never took a prenatal vitamin when I was pregnant, and if you go to an uh, an obstetrician in Sweden or France, are they don't recommend taking a prenatal vitamin. It's only I think in this country that prenatal vitamins are are pushed. Folic acid is absolutely important. The science absolutely shows that folic acid during the first ten weeks of a pregnancy helps prevent spina bifida. There is no uh, question about that. But you can get folic acid, all, uh, more than enough folic acid, by eating a healthy, unprocessed plant-based diet. You do not have to consume a folic acid supplement or prenatal vitamin to do this. One of the reasons for the recommendation uh, in this country to take a prenatal vitamin or folic acid is the assumption that people just aren't going to eat right. So we're just going to play it safer safe. option, yeah.
1: yeah. And is there any harm, you know, for anyone listening, if, they, if they're if they sort of like, okay, well, I think my diet is adequate, but maybe I'll just take that that prenatal multivitamin as a backup. Is there any harm in doing so? Or is it more just you're just buying something that you might not necessarily need?
0: Well, you know, I, I'm going to say first and foremost, so that people don't, uh, you know, that they get all the information. The American College of OBGYN does recommend that a pregnant woman take a prenatal vitamin. Uh, so that's what the American College recommends. But there's been a lot of data and a lot of science showing that taking multivitamins, taking uh, vitamin supplements, doesn't really help. And in some cases, seems to be linked to certain problems. Uh, one good example is taking iron supplements has been shown in a few studies to be linked to colon cancer. And this has been known for a while. So I don't think, as I said, I didn't take a prenatal vitamin when I was pregnant. And I think that you can get all the folic acid and all the iron and all the important minerals and nutrients that you need through a healthy plant-based diet. And you should take a B12 supplement when you're pregnant, but I don't think pregnant women should feel like they absolutely must take that prenatal vitamin
1: and be super scared. Yeah.
0: Super scared. Right. Um, so, or so, spend a lot of money on them too. That's the other thing.
1: And, 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 also potentially at the expense of not creating a really good balanced diet, which should really be the first and foremost thing that they're thinking about. Right. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that sort of brings me to this this last question more on the diet side of things. There's a lot of stuff going around online and in magazines at the moment back towards that high-fat, low-carbohydrate type diet. What is your take on that? In terms of your recommendations for a diet, are you recommending, I mean, based on what we've spoken about today, sounds like more of a lower-fat, high-carbohydrate diet that has... Non-refined carbohydrates. Can you can you comment on that?
0: The popular um, low-carb paleo uh, approach, and you know, it, I feel it's so misguided. I think part of the confusion is no, you know, no one's questioning that uh, our caveman ancestors who lived in you know Europe during the Ice Age had a certain diet. Okay, but. We're talking about living in this this particular time where there's what is it seven billion people on earth, and that you need to recommend and stick to guidelines that are uh that make sense uh globally, that are sustainable. and at no point in human existence was uh, up until recently, at no point was our diet fat heavy. fat was expensive and rare. And so this whole emphasis on a high fat, low carb diet, it's just it's just counter to how our ancestors ate up until quite recently when we've been able to produce so much food and feed so many animals for slaughter that we're able to consume this much fat. It wasn't like that in the past.
1: And based on the science that we have, do you I mean, is there is there any any studies of people that have consumed fat at these levels for a longer period of time that we can see what the long term effects are on health or is it a little bit unknown at this stage oh
0: no it's i mean it that's the blue zones there's a lot of observational data that shows you know the higher fat someone consumes uh, the higher fat a society consumes the more health problems and that healthy Traditionally healthy populations tended to have low-fat diets. And then if you look at individual countries, like for instance, India, where if you looked at middle-class Indians and their fat consumption, and when they started developing diabetes and and cancers and and heart disease, if you look at countries like South Korea before their economic success and, and after, I mean, you can plot out fat consumption and- rates of breast cancer and other problems. I mean, there's lots of data that's showing that it's fat that's the Uh, issue.
1: The the middle class in India, their diet, if you compare their diet now to the typical Western diet, is there a difference in the amount of processed foods? Okay. Are they are they have they had a lot of processed foods introduced into their diet as well that may be contributing to some of these health concerns or Compared to the Australian, uh, compared to the Americans and Australians, any any Western diet, are they consuming less processed foods?
0: Oh, they're consuming more. Because I I I grew up in the United States, I've gone to India like once a decade, so I see big changes over like the, this forty years, fifty years so it's span. It's quite
1: obvious each time you yes. go back,
0: and. You know, I went to India in seventy six. I went to India in nineteen ninety, and then in two thousand eleven, and it is astonishing. You know, in nineteen seventy six, you could not find a McDonald's or a Pizza Hut. Uh, In nineteen seventy six, when I went to India, they did not eat out. There was no refrigerator, and this was you know middle class. There no refrigerator. They made everything at home. There was no boxed packaged food at all and then when i went in 1990 you saw a few like not not a lot but a few starting to create yeah like Dunkin' or uh western what more westernized food no cheese though they you know my cousins they didn't have pizza yet they didn't eat pizza there was a mcdonald's maybe and then when i went in 2011 it was it was sad in a way because you saw A lot of McDonald's, a lot of Pizza Hut, a lot of KFC and obesity clinics and cardiologists. Wow. So
1: So it's fairly it's happened fairly quickly. It's
0: very fair, yes, very quick. Along with that, there's a lot more sedentary jobs. People are, you know, doing a lot more desk work. So they don't exercise or, or even walk as much as they used to. So all of those things are going hand in hand. But the processed food consumption and the fat consumption has skyrocketed They They eat pizza now. Yeah. And that's not, that is not. And a-
1: where's, where's the education in terms of, are they a long way behind what, you know, the types of things we're talking about now, or because they, I mean, a large percentage are vegetarian, right. You know, they're probably not starting from the the bottom in terms of having a lot of meat infiltrated into their diet. How do you think, Things are going to pan out in the next decade or two in India from an education and, and change in lifestyle point of view?
0: I think there's some effort. I mean, there are a few doctors in India who are encouraging a plant-based diet. But you know, dis- dispensing information, dispersing information is really hard, especially if you're fighting against commercials and TV ads and magazine ads that show you. A new way of eating is, number one, it's new, and there's a status symbol associated with it.
1: So you think they're looking at these Western chains that are opening up as a new, trendy way of eating? Yes. And aren't really thinking or aware of the health consequences?
0: But but, but very similar to America, right? I mean, I think that, by and large, most people don't realise how, how bad that bite of the hot dog or the chicken is. A few do. The American Medical Association finally came out in May and said that a plant-based diet should be recommended to hospital patients. And that was big, but most doctors don't know that the American Medical Association made that recommendation. You know and looking back at in India, yeah, most most people are probably not aware aware how bad processed food is. but i do I do think there's some some attempts.
1: Thank you, Padma. That's been very, very insightful for both myself and I'm sure the listeners. I've been delighted to have had the the chance to meet you and and have this conversation. As I said before, I'm going to put a link to your podcast and your website for all listeners to read up on um, other blogs and information that you have personally posted. So yeah, thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Simon. And it's great that you're doing this. It's it's really wonderful that you're taking the time and effort to... to
1: Two hour train ride it really, to, uh, yeah. to Beacon. <laughs> Hopefully we can uh, have another chat soon.
0: Absolutely. I loved it. Thank you.
1: And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plantproof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.